Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to episode 53 of Empty Betters. I'm your host, Harrison Scholes. I'm going to toss it across the screen to the man with the worst Wi-Fi in the world, Nick Manella. How we doing, buddy? Doing well. I don't know why it's taken 53 episodes for my Wi-Fi to just start acting all cattywampus, but, you know, here we are. So, uh, yeah, other than that, I'm doing pretty well. No complaints. Just trying to, you know, put off my holiday shopping like I love to until the very last moment. So, living the dream. Amen, brother. And we're going to toss it off to our producer on the West Coast, Mac Vogel. How are we doing? Doing well. Can't complain. How uh, how are you folks? How are you fellas today? I'm doing great. Last night was arguably the most electric Ravens win uh, since the Mile High Miracle and the Flacco days. I'm very impressed by what Lamar did, but we're not going to turn this into a football podcast. Um, we're going to give you guys just a brief little overview of what you know this episode is going to contain. So, um, we obviously have a big guest, Pittsburgh Penguins play-by-play announcer Steve Mears, former host of NHL Now and NHL Network, and former radio member of the New York Islanders. Great interview. Um, we finally landed uh, another big fish, so that was good. Uh, he's got a lot of stories, calling games down in Louisiana and East Texas. There's definitely, definitely some stories that you guys would want to hear, so make sure you check that out. Uh, and other than that, the only league news that we really have for you guys, and it's not really news, is that uh, you know the NHL is still rumored to start somewhere in the January 13 to 15 area. Players are all home in their um, team cities, so it looks like things are looking up. We should have an announcement in the next week or two, I would imagine, probably right after Christmas, I think. Uh, we'll see. Rumor has it training camp might start Jan 1, Jan 2, somewhere around there, so uh, we'll keep you guys posted, but we're going to keep the intro brief. Uh, you guys got anything else to add? Not a whole lot. Uh, I think the only other thing worth talking about, I know you said you didn't want to turn it into a football podcast, but you remember how the Niners can't play their home games at um, Levi Stadium, Stadium anymore because Santa Clara County is being all fucky with contact sports? So that right. actually might have some implications for a hockey team that plays their games in Santa Clara County Ooh. as well, the San Jose Sharks. Home arena does reside in that district as well. So definitely something to keep your eye on. I think the ban was only for like three weeks, but uh, I think as we learned this past year, dates and timelines that are set in 2020 mean absolutely nothing. nothing. So uh, definitely something to keep your eye on. I mean, the Sharks could potentially be playing their home game somewhere else. Yeah, it helps that at least there are I mean, there's there's at least a handful of other ranks I can think of, um, you know, within uh, a baseball's throw away or so, um, so to speak. But that would at least get them out of that county and at least, you know, be able to kind of skirt around those regulations. But that's interesting. Yeah, you make a good point. And uh, pretty sure there were a couple rumors weeks ago about maybe they're going to do a bubble for the entire year. And now it sounds like that's probably not going to happen. So yeah, it's a shit show uh, to put it quite frank. So in the next two weeks, I would imagine we'll have some breaking news for all you guys. But uh, other than that, I think we're about ready to toss it off to Mirzi here. Uh, you guys agree? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. Bring him on. Alrighty, but before we do, this interview is brought to you by Brackish Life. Let's take a minute to talk about Brackish Life. If you're like us and grew up on the water and outdoors, then Brackish Life is perfect for you. 
They have a wide selection of gear from UV shirts to hoodies and hats. It's Real Bay Apparel made by Real Bay people. Head to brackish.life today to check them out. A little salty, a little fresh, Brackish Life. Brackish Life has also teamed up with Rink to Reef Chesapeake Bay to preserve the area many of us call home. Rink to Reef repurposes broken hockey sticks into oyster restoration habitats. Brackish Life donates a portion of their proceeds to Rink to Reef to further preserve the beautiful Chesapeake Bay area. Support this cause by checking out www.brackish.life today. Thank you, Brackish Life, for sponsoring this interview. We're going to toss it off to Mirzi right now. And we are now pleased to be joined by Steve Mears of the Pittsburgh Penguins Telecast. Steve, thanks for joining the Empty Betters podcast. Appreciate you having me. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no, it's our it's our pleasure. Uh, so we just kind of want to walk through, you know, where where you came from, uh, your career, the timeline of how things have progressed to now where you're the play-by-play announcer for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, so you're you're from Pittsburgh, so you're kind of a hometown hero, which is pretty cool. If you don't mind talking about where you grew up. Uh, you know, did you play hockey growing up? How'd you get into the Penguins? Yeah, just a little town, little suburb of uh, Pittsburgh called Murraysville, which is about 25 minutes east, and went to Franklin Regional, which is the high school there. And the timing just couldn't have been much better. Right around that time where I'm at that impressionable age of 10 or 11, the Penguins win back-to-back championships. They have the best player in the game in Mario Lemieux, and they have the best announcer. So I just thought it, that was the coolest job that he had, Mike Lang. Uh, to be able to get in for free and to be able to bring the game to the fans and in the unique way in which he did it. And that's why he's in the Hall of Fame and that's why he's the best. Uh, So I just thought that was the coolest job. And I I knew that's what I wanted to do in some capacity. Just wanted to be involved in the game in some way. I did play hockey growing up. I still play to this day, same rink in uh, Delmont, PA, which is the next town over. But it was just wanting to be in hockey in, in some way. I can trace it back to that first game I went to with my dad. It's a cliche, but you walk in to the igloo and it's just like an epiphany. You just see all the colors, the bright orange seats, the red seats, the crystal clear glass, the shining ice and the blue lines and red lines. And just I was overwhelmed. I just wanted to be involved. I knew at that moment I wanted to be involved with this in some way. And I knew I wasn't good enough to be playing in the NHL, as that is a realization that many people have eventually. I thought announcing is the next best thing. You get a chance to get in for free. It's something you can do for a long time, potentially, well into your 60s, 70s, maybe even 80s. Who knows? Uh, Unlike playing in the NHL. So uh, that's just uh, how it all unfolded. And I'm just really lucky. I, I was lucky just to get one job in the NHL with the New York Islanders. And I was happy with that and uh, the fact that it has worked out to uh, come home and uh, in the city where my parents still live and my grandmother lives here. That's incredibly special. And uh, so I always say I'm playing with house money. I I did one Penguin game and everything else. I'm playing with house money. That's pretty cool. I mean, you know, you talk about the fact that you're still playing now. I actually happened complete coincidence, swear to God. I was rewatching uh, 24-7 Penguins Capitals, and it was the episode where uh, the Penguins were getting ready to have their uh, staff skate or team skate, and lo and behold, who pops up on screen right next to Super Mario was yourself. So uh, it's great to see that you're still uh, 
you know, playing the game. <laughs> I, I wish I was able to do that, to play with a guy like that. But I, I think we're just going to have to settle for men's league over here. <laughs> that, that was the moment the ratings of the show tanked. That <laughs> and uh, if you remember, that was uh, Phil Bork and I. And yep. we were laughing at his helmet that he wore. He used to wear the Joko Wayne Gretzky helmet. Yep. And inside... On the label, it really says this is this is not to be used for the sport of ice hockey. That was the famous <laughs> Jopa helmet that it was like a piece yep. of paper on their heads. Uh, but Wayne Gretzky made it famous, and uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a lifetime thrill. I and mean, he doesn't play hockey. It's not like he was coming out every week to skate with us. That was only because of the Winter Classic alumni game and leading up to it that he just wanted to get on the ice and hadn't been on the ice in a long time. And I remember leaving the morning skate because for those who don't know, that's a game day skate that we still occasionally do uh, under normal circumstances at the arena where the Penguins office staff and hockey ops staff and maybe even sometimes the coaches and trainers can come out and just play a pickup game in the middle of the afternoon of a game day once all the work of the morning skate is done. And so uh, back then it was like the golden days of that, of that skate because it was Dan Bilesma and Ray Shiro and Tony Granato and Brian Trottier would show up every once in a while. And then one day I was going out to get my bag after the morning skate for whatever Penguin game that was that night. And uh, someone said, hey, I heard the big guys playing today. And I, I just like did a double take and I go, because that's usually Mario. And uh, I was like, yeah, get out of here. I mean, he has no interest in playing with us scrubs. And uh, sure enough, just the train for that alumni game, he made it. He made an appearance. And uh, I'm so glad it was documented on HBO 24-7. So it'll be there. Uh, forever and uh it was it was so cool because it was just like when he played in the nhl where he controlled the pace he dictated all the terms on the ice when he had the puck and maybe even when he didn't the game just kind of gravitated toward his pace whatever he wanted to even at that stage where he hadn't played in so long and i just remember just like these perfect saucer passes and and uh this amazing vision that it was like he's playing in slow motion, but he was just 10 steps ahead of everybody else. And I did pick off one of his passes. There you I, go. It was like a dream come go. true. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, the other thing I always say is I, I thought I did a good job because I was on the other team. I think he was wearing the black jersey. I was wearing my white bowling green jersey. And uh, I always say I held Mario to nine goals that day. I held him <laughs> to nine goals. Single. Digit. I don't know if. I don't know if many people can say that, so that's pretty damn impressive. Yes, he was held to nine goals in that pickup game. I was uh, I was very proud of that. So you mentioned Bowling Green, and um, I believe class of 2002, that's where you went to school, and you were the, the play-by-play voice for the Falcons. Uh, you know, did you study to go into broadcasting? How did that whole experience evolve? Yeah, I studied when I was looking at which college to go to. That was uh, a big deciding factor, which one was going to give me the opportunity to get hands-on experience as a play-by-play guy, which one ideally wasn't a prerequisite, but which one had a, a good hockey program because that was my favorite sport and uh, would give me a chance to go to a school that had a strong communications program and Bowling Green is one of the best uh, and it worked out well that it was just four hours west it's an easy drive it's close to Pittsburgh and they have a storied hockey history there with their college hockey program won a national championship in 1984 I've got a lot of NHL players I mentioned Dan Bilesma former Penguin coach he's one of them but he could go down the list Kevin Bieksa and Rob Blake and Mike Johnson and uh, George McPhee and there's so many other great NHL players who've come from that program 
So uh, it all worked out really well. And, and I was doing games as a freshman, which is unheard of. If you go to some of the bigger broadcasting schools, you might have to wait till you're a junior or senior to get into games and actually doing the big games on a regular basis. I was calling games as an 18-year-old freshman. And wow. the players on the other teams, because at that time they're playing Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State. A lot of the players ended up going on to the NHL. I remember watching Ryan Miller and Mike Comrie and R.J. Umberger and all kinds of other. Chris Kunitz was with Ferris State. So I got a chance to watch a lot of great NHL players, and, uh, and that laid the foundation for becoming a professional broadcaster. But I'm always appreciative, always thankful for the time I spent there because that, those are the roots that uh, you build a career out of, and uh, you have to have that start. And that hands-on experience. I speak to a lot of students, and that's the first thing that I say is uh, if, you're, if they're in that stage of choosing a university or a college to go to, just make sure you're getting the hands-on experience. Classroom's great, and a prestigious broadcasting school is great, but it's important to uh, make sure that you're actually getting the reps of calling games or just being on the air. I mean, kind of like what we're doing right now, just getting being in front of a microphone, being on camera. And going through those reps, because every time you do it, you're just sharpening those skills and it'll prepare you better. Well said. Yeah. And then after school, it looks like your uh, your first gig out of school was with the Mud Bugs. They sound like they would have awesome jerseys, just got to say. Um, from 2002 to 2006, can you talk about your experience with the Mud Bugs and what that was all like? Yeah, the Bossier Street Port Mud Bugs in Bossier City, Louisiana. Uh, they do have great jerseys still to this day. Now it's an NHL junior team, was a professional team at the time that I was there, like the AA level, the, the old Central Hockey League. And they have an amazing logo, which has been around for a long time now, and cool colors. And, uh, and it, is, uh, it is one of the better minor league logos and uniforms or junior hockey logos now, if you ask me. But I'm biased. Uh, but yeah, it was an amazing experience. That was, uh, to me, it was... It was all fun all the time. Everything about it was fun because it was minor league hockey and the guys treated me like I was one of the players, like I was a part of the team. And in, in a way, you basically are when you're the radio guy for a minor league team. You're not just broadcasting the games. You're doing everything. You're ordering the meals. You're booking the hotels. You're doing sales. You're doing community relations. So we had a close knit group in the front office staff and then an even closer bond with the players and the trainers and the coach. Uh, it was, it was an awesome experience. I didn't know what I was getting into. I mean, I, I graduated from Bowling Green. I packed up my car and just drove down to Louisiana in blind faith, hoping that this was going to work out. Didn't know a soul down there. Never been to the South, never been to Louisiana. I'm thinking, what is hockey like in Louisiana? I had no clue. But there are a lot of great hockey fans in that town and in a lot of towns that a lot of people probably wouldn't expect. They love the game, and there's now a good tradition of hockey in Shreveport. So I try to get back every summer as long as I'm able to. It's uh, it's a great town, gambling town. and got the Riverboat Casinos, make it a lot of fun. And uh, they have a, a nice hockey history there. But it was just all fun all the time. Even the moments that you think wouldn't be fun, like rolling into a, a cold rink that's a rodeo barn in Odessa, Texas at 4 a.m. after – doing two other games in the two previous nights and then having to help the equipment manager unload the gear. Cause that's what the radio guy has to do. And you're carrying this super heavy skate sharpener and this bag of sticks that are sticky and wet from the previous game. And, and it's freezing cold. 
and you'd think that uh, that wouldn't be all that <laughs> enjoyable, but it, it was all rewarding. And uh, I just loved it, that experience. Like, I wish there was a way you could have both. You could li live in that minor league life, but also be in the NHL, but it's just not possible. That's the trade-off when you move up the ladder. That's so cool. You know, I, I feel like a lot of us probably didn't know that you were sort of a jack of all trades when you're the radio guy for a minor league hockey team. So like you said, you know, sales and community outreach and stuff like that. Uh, what did you think of the food down there? Are you a big uh, Cajun food guy? I, I would assume it's got to be incredible. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, gumbo, jambalaya, crawfish. That's what a mud bug <laughs> is for those who don't yep. know. We get a crawfish and you have crawfish boils. Uh, when it was in season, that was something to do. Um, a lot of good fried food, not the healthiest meals, but it was uh, it was an awesome time. Just that, that good southern cuisine. Uh, not quite like the New Orleans culture because I mean, Shreveport is northwest Louisiana and New Orleans is all the way to the south. Very different. A lot of people would describe it like Shreveport was more like a Texas type culture. East Texas was only 30, 45 minutes away. So, uh, yeah, it was, when you think Louisiana, I think immediately people think New Orleans and, and Cajun and all that. And there definitely were a lot of elements of that, but uh, a lot of Texas elements, great Mexican food and uh, a lot of different uh, good barbecue you know, a lot of different uh, cultures uh, coming together and different types of food and cuisine and and the other thing was the people were just so unbelievably friendly. And you hear that so often for those who've never been in the South. It's a slower pace of life. It's a friendly culture. You say hi to the person when you're walking on the street. And then, you know, I went from there to New York. And if you did that in New York, if you're walking one way and the person's coming towards you and you say, <laughs> hey, how you doing? They look at you like you're insane. Like you're an insane uh, person that might be trying to rob you. Right. <laughs> uh, but that in, in Shreveport in the South, I mean, that's just common courtesy. So it's a, it was a different style and a different pace of life, but uh, a lot of the same Midwestern charms of Pittsburgh, I think, uh, are evident down in the South as well. So uh, if there's one common thread, it would be you know, between Pittsburgh and Louisiana. I think it's just the kindness of the people and just uh, overall the way we treat everyone. And uh, Pittsburgh is uh, well known for that, too. Yeah, you, you, you kind of mentioned it and segued this perfectly into New York. Uh, you know, a, a stint in Long Island, an area that Nick and I know very well, all too well. Uh, in the summer of 2006, you signed with the Islanders. What was your experience there like? That was a dream come true. That was, uh, that was me just getting an opportunity at a young age to work in the NHL. And it, it was incredible. I mean, just uh, I'd never been to New York. I'd never been in New York City. I'd never been to Long Island. The first time I went to the New York area was my job interview for that uh, Islanders play-by-play -play radio job. And uh, they went out on a limb to hire me, which I'll always be appreciative of. Uh, so yeah, to go from the mud bugs to the New York Islanders is pretty ridiculous. Like Most people would say, like, how on earth could that happen? But uh, they saw something in me and uh, took a chance on a kid who was 26, and uh, I, it was it was awesome. It was just such a great stepping stone into the NHL world. And you think because you're in a you're a big fish in a small pond, you think you, you're a pretty good announcer. You think you know what you're talking about with the game of hockey and, and the business and and doing play by play. And I quickly realized I knew nothing. I knew nothing at all about being at that level and broadcasting in the New York market and at the NHL level and with a team that has hundreds of thousands of fans, you know, it's, uh, 
and in a league that's just such big business. I mean, you just you have no clue when you when you're going from the minors or even college. But you, you some people might think that uh, that they're actually pretty good, and I quickly realized that I wasn't. So it was nice to uh, have people around me who would teach me a lot of the basics and uh, to take my skills to another level. I mean, I had a great partner in Chris King who's still doing Islanders radio and it just bleeds blue and orange. Uh, Howie Rose was doing TV, one of the great broadcasters, voice of the New York Mets and a former voice of the Rangers. Uh, he's just, uh, he taught me so much. Nobody was better at breaking down the craft of play by play than Howie and uh, Billy Jaffe, who does some studio work with the Boston Bruins on Nesson and was the TV analyst at the time. These were the people who showed me the ropes. They, they took me under their wing. I was a rookie, very green, and I learned so much from those three veteran guys. I'm just always thankful for uh, the tutelage that they gave me, and not just those guys, but around the New York area at the time. Doc Emmerich is doing the Devils TV. Kenny Albert's doing the Rangers. Sam Rosen's doing the Rangers. So, and around that time, it was heavy division schedule. We would play the Rangers, I think, six times, maybe even eight times uh, in a season. So, it was, I think it was eight. So, it, we saw those guys a lot. Saw Doc Emmerich and Sam Rosen and Kenny Albert. And we saw those guys quite a bit. And I just learned so much from them and watching them and listening to them and talking with them before game. Uh, it, was a, it was the perfect setting to uh, get a, a career started at the NHL level. What was your uh, your debut like? Uh, based on what I read, your first broadcast was on October 5th, 2006 against the Coyotes. What was going through your mind? The one thing that really stood out was the head coach of the Coyotes was Wayne Gretzky. That was one thing I will always remember, uh, and I knew that going in. So that was something like, oh, wow, this is going to be in Arizona, and on the, on the opposing team's bench is going to be Wayne Gretzky, who I obviously had never met before, coming from Shreveport and and uh, the morning skate, I'll always remember, like, he walked out to do the, the coach's scrum. And uh, there was Wayne Gretzky, the great one. So it was, uh, it was surreal. It was, that was a cool element. I remember we just got destroyed. I don't remember what the final score was, but it was just a, an overwhelming loss for the Islanders. And another thing that stands out uh, was uh, oh, a couple things. One is that it was still just hockey. Yes, the audience was bigger yes we were higher up in a bigger arena and the stakes were higher and everything but it was still just doing a hockey game not that much different than doing a mud bugs game obviously much faster but uh not that much different it's still hockey and it's still just talking about hockey and doing play-by-play -play. and the other thing was uh at the time howie rose wasn't doing the tv he was busy with the mets and the playoffs so jigs mcdonald the legendary voice of the islanders and uh sports channel and our hall hockey hall of fame broadcaster he was filling in. So I got a chance to be around Jigs for my first few NHL games, my first NHL road trip. And uh, to talk about a thrill. I knew how great he was from my childhood and, and watching Sports Channel and listening to that famous voice of his. And I got to ride the bus over to the arena for my first NHL game. And uh, I asked Jigs, I said, before I do this, do you have any advice for me? And he said, Steve, always remember, it takes two teams to play this game two teams to play this game. And I never forgot that. That's, and it's so true. Every announcer could keep that in mind, that there are two teams out there. You've got to give credit where credit is due. And it uh, basically means don't be that much of a homer. So 
Uh, I thought that was great advice. Now, I don't apologize for my Penguin fandom because that's where I'm from. It's in my <laughs> But I think uh, there is something to be said for giving the proper respect for to both teams and uh, not losing credibility. So I, I really appreciated that. Jiggs just kind of took me under his wing and, and uh, talk about that. I mean, it's one of the best pro- play-by-play broadcasters ever, and he's there when I'm doing my NHL debut, and, and it was just because – how he had the Mets going on and, and Jiggs was filling in. So I was very lucky. Yeah, no, you make a great point. I, that was actually one of my questions down the road, but you kind of just answered it uh, perfectly. You you spoke to John Tavares right after he got drafted. There's a, there's a clip on YouTube of him literally fresh in the Islanders uniform and you get to talk to him right after he gets off stage. What was your first impression of him? Oh, uh, very professional, very uh, laid back. I mean, he was not that much different than the Tavares that we see now. Uh, just he was so young. And I think that was the first interview he did after he got drafted, if not one of the, the first interviews. Because I was in a room at the Bell Center in Montreal, an interview room. And that was being sent back to Nassau Coliseum where they were having a draft party. And that was a highly anticipated draft. Because the Islanders had bottomed out the previous year, worst team in the league. They had won the draft lottery back then. It was much greater odds. I think it was 48.2%. So I had about a 50-50 shot. And they won the lottery. Tavares was projected to be the first pick. You also had Victor Hedman, who went second, and Matthew Shane, who went third. So it wasn't a, a slam dunk that it was going to be Tavares. Uh, Hedman, obviously, great players we know now, Stanley Cup champion. And at the time, it was at the very least, it was one, two, three. You know, Duchesne was in the conversation, and he was interviewed by the Islanders and was given consideration. There was a rumor that they were going to go with Duchesne, and that obviously didn't happen. But, uh, yeah, Tavares was uh, very professional. I remember shaking his hand, and like all these hockey players, he crushed the bones in my hand, like, (laughs) in the shreds, like all these guys, you know. And he's, at the time, he's an 18-year-old kid, but just... You, you see that forearm strength and the big grip and uh, really nice professional guy. And, and we interviewed the, the, the late owner of the Islanders, Charles Wong. We interviewed Scott Gordon. We interviewed Calvin DeHaan, who was also a first-round pick. So it was cool to be there for that. And, uh, and that was – it turned out to be one of the last things I did with the Islanders because uh, they – I'm sure we can talk about it. But uh, eventually they would get rid of their radio broadcast, I think, a month later. And I was out of a job. So it was uh, that was probably the last Islander-related thing that I did. And it was John Tavares' first interview. Wow. The more you know. And then you obviously came over to Pittsburgh for your first stint with the Penguins on the radio network. I mean, you must have just been – one, they were on the come up. Two, you're from Pittsburgh. So I'm sure you were just on cloud nine when you got the call home. Yeah, that was great. It was more of a relief, though, because as I said, the Islander situation was unfortunate because uh, all of a sudden they give me a phone call and they say, we're going to a simulcast and uh, we're going to pick up the TV audio and you're out of a job just like that. So three years into my dream job of working in the NHL, it's over. And now all of a sudden every thought races through your head. Am I going back to the mud bugs? Am I going to have to find another career? What am I going to do? Because you only you think you only get one shot. I think that was a dream job. There are only 30 teams, soon to be 32. But you don't think you're going to get many opportunities like that. I was extremely fortunate to get that Islander job. And uh, and it was devastating. I just You just didn't know what. And you don't have the life experience either. At the time, I'm 29. I didn't have the life experience to know that these things usually work out. You just 
you make do and you, you find a way. But at the time, it was devastating because I love that job. I love living on Long Island and the people that I work with and the day-to-day bond of the, of the job, going to morning skates and the travel and everything. And I was really close with everybody in that organization. But it was the classic case of turning a negative into a positive, that what you think is the worst thing in the world actually turns out to be not so bad at the least. And in, in this case, it was the best thing that could ever happen to me. Because if not, I'd probably still be doing Islanders radio not getting paid as much money and uh you know that would be fine i I have no problem with a lengthy career with the islanders but uh luckily i was able to do a bunch of other things including working for my hometown team as you said so at the time the penguins were uh creating a new radio network it it was on hd radio at the time which they were hoping would turn into uh, a new technology that was really popular and uh, they needed a radio host and they knew of me from my islander days they hired me and it brought me home for the last year of the Igloo, uh, the first year of the new building. As you mentioned, the Penguins at this time were the defending Stanley Cup champions. So I was very lucky to go to a first class organization like that. And that uh, just so happened to be my hometown team. And uh, my parents were thrilled and, and got to be around Crosby and Malkin and Billy Guerin, and, uh, Chris Kunitz. And, uh, and they were a big deal here at the time and still are. So I was uh, I was really lucky that uh, I was able to have that setback of being let go by the Islanders, but flipping that into something that uh, eventually would uh, get me just into the Penguins organization and got me familiar and everyone there familiar with my work, which I think helped me eventually get the, the job that I have now. Sure. It's a, you know, it's a great message. Just, I feel in, you know, any situation being able to flip something negative into a positive, uh, this is sort of, you know, out of the blue, but I'm, I'm a little bit curious, what's the difference in your preparation or in your delivery of calling a game when it's on TV versus radio, if there is one? There is definitely is one. Uh, and I think it's a lot of some of the young broadcasters may not be as aware of or willing to do, and it's not uh, just, a, it's not a mistake. I think we all, even my generation, and you guys are younger than me, uh, I think we all have now grown up with sports on television and that being the style of play-by-play. But if you go back and you listen to the old-time, let's say, baseball announcers, there is a distinct radio style that is has kind of been lost over the years because we've gravitated to more of a, a sports on television type of play-by-play so if you listen to an old tiny baseball radio broadcaster you hear them describe the stance of the batter or the shadows on the field or the way the pitcher is going walking back to the mound and preparing and the way he's holding the ball and there's like a heavy description to it that may not be quite as evident with the modern style just because of as i said we've evolved now and we're all into sports on television uh, so there is a big difference in hockey's the same way. And that was one of the things I talked about learning and not knowing much and learning. Probably the biggest thing was learning about sports on the radio. When I go to the Islanders, so you've got to describe how is the goalie lifting his mask up and taking a drink of his water bottle and, and uh, the way certain passes are described, you know, crisp pass or, uh, you know, soft pass. And Doc Emmerich, of course, the greatest at those descriptive words, but uh, on radio, I really concentrated. I learned a lot from Howie Rose. He was doing Mets radio at the time. And, and uh, the first summer after my first season, I, I listened to him doing Mets games. And, and he's kind of a throwback and has like an older uh, style, which is, uh, I think, a classic baseball style and, and is one of the best ever at it. So, uh, yeah, big time difference for 
hockey on television, sometimes I don't have to say anything. I can just lay out and just let the pictures tell the story. And like no one's tuning in to listen to me. I'm just providing some type of commentary, hopefully an anecdote here, a stat there, and providing some level of entertainment. But they're tuning in to watch Crosby and Malkin and Latang and, and all these guys do their thing. So uh, that's the beauty. I think in some ways it's easier to be on TV because you can just lay out. And I think it's something I'm still learning as I get my feet wet into this, this new job a few seasons in, just uh, trying to not go back to that radio style. There is a radio element in hockey play-by-play. Doc Elmerich, again, perfect example where uh, you're, you are describing a lot of passes and a lot of things that are happening. Baseball on television, you would never – describe a ground ball to third base. The third baseman picks it up, throws to first. First baseman outstretched, makes the catch. But you would never do that on television. You would just let the pictures tell the story. So I think that's something, though, in my evolution, I'm still uh, trying to make those adjustments and realize that uh, silence is okay on TV. Silence on radio is not okay. So uh, on TV, it's okay to just lay out and let the pictures tell the story. Well, you're doing a great job so far on TV. I got to tell you, every all of our listeners know I'm a big Penguins fan. So you you, you do a really good job with Bobby. Um, you mentioned TV, so then you moved to NHL Network, and all of a sudden you're the face of Channel 858 for all the Comcast users out there. How fun was that? I mean, you're living in New York City. You're with EJ Raddick. You, you, you're just living the life. I'm assuming, right? Yeah, it was uh, living the life of a hockey fan. That the best the, that you could have I, to be in that seat on a nightly basis and to be talking to all the big names in the hockey world from Wayne Gretzky to Timu Solani and Patrick Waugh and Joe Sackick, uh, Gary Bettman, um, and all the current players, Crosby and Ovechkin, all these guys we had on our show. So, uh, multiple times. So yeah, to be in that seat and to be following along, it was so thrilling every day to walk into the office in Midtown Manhattan and to wonder like, what's going to happen today. What's the storyline going to be? Which coach is going to get fired? Which trade is going to be made? Who are guests going to be? And prepping for these interviews. And uh, we had so many amazing hockey people and also non-hockey people, like some celebrities that were just hockey fans that stopped by. And it was cool. I remember meeting Pat Sajak. I mean, that, <laughs> That was, of course, everyone knows Wheel of Fortune, and he's a big hockey fan. And uh, I love Karate Kid, Ralph Macchio, huge Islanders fan. He came into the studio and, and did an interview one time. I had like a million questions I wanted to ask him about the Karate Kid. So uh, we had a lot of different uh, guests from all different walks of life. Uh, probably the highlight was Bobby Orr being in studio. He was doing a book signing and to meet Bobby Orr and to... Uh, just hear his stories about his career and going up against Gordy Howe and all the great moments that he had. 1970, winning the Stanley Cup. It just, uh, it was, it was amazing. So uh, yeah, I was very lucky. Great partner in EJ Raddick. He was wonderful to work with, and uh, it just provided uh, a springboard for me to uh, ultimately move back to Pittsburgh. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to that current role now. So obviously now you are the play-by-play television announcer for AT&T Sportsnet for the Pens. Uh, replacing Paul Steigerwald, I, I mean, truth be told, I can't – I'm young enough for when I started remembering games, Mike Lang did the 2005 season when Crosby was a rookie, and then I believe the season after is when Staggy took over. So he's been the voice for all this time. What, you know, I, I'm sure you knew him prior to you taking over. What was the transition like, and what's your experience been with Bob Erie? 
Well, Bob's been great. Just a wonderful partner to work with, uh, a player I watched when I was growing up, those teams I referenced earlier, 91 and 92. He was an integral part of those teams. So it's cool to work with someone who had such a long career and a Stanley Cup champion a couple of times and uh, and just a wonderful friend. That, that's the most important thing. I think with all of these, I mentioned Chris King, working with him, working with EJ Raddick, and now with Bob, I think the most important thing is we get along off the air and uh, they're all guys that I still call friends to this day. So uh, I think that translates on the air. I hope it does. And I, I'm always appreciative of that friendship with those guys. Uh, yeah, the, the transition was uh, kind of bittersweet. I, I loved my job in, in New York. I loved NHL Network. So it wasn't an easy decision. And uh, yeah, I knew Steige. Uh, he had actually helped me when I was in the minors. I had reached out to the Penguins and, uh, and I met him at a dinner or a lunch that we had, and he was incredibly helpful. So I'll always be appreciative of that. And uh, someone called one day and said, we're, we're making a change, and uh, would you be interested in the, in the Penguins' TV job? And I had to give it some thought. I loved, I loved New York. At the time, we were working at MLB Network when they merged in 2015, NHL Network and MLB Network. So now it's even higher profile, and I'm doing baseball, which I love too. And working at MLB Network, which is just the, the top of the class when it comes to the sports networks. So uh, that took uh, some consideration and, and some thought and weighing pros and cons and everything. But at the end of the day, it was a love of the Penguins, a love of the art of play-by-play and the opportunity to come home and just to, to be in, in my favorite city. So in a lot of ways, it was a win-win. I love New York. I love Pittsburgh. I love the NHL network and I love the Penguins organization. It was all, uh, it was a win-win. So as I said, I, I do one game, I'm playing with house money and uh, I'm appreciative of, uh, of them giving me just the chance to, uh, to get an opportunity. There's only 31 teams, 32 when Seattle comes in. So these jobs don't flip open all that often. And uh, I, that's another factor where you have to just, Bide your time, and uh, when a job is open, you got to go for it, whatever team it is. You got to apply, and you have to you have to do your best if that's the the route that you want to go down uh, with uh, trying to become a play by play voice of one of these teams. And uh, and I'm very lucky; I've had a chance to do actually three because I did some Rangers games as well. So I've had a chance to do games for for three NHL teams. So I'm uh, always appreciative of the opportunities. And uh, and I just want for someone who just wanted to work in the NHL in some capacity could have been janitor, Zamboni driver, coach, whatever, whatever it was. I just wanted to be in the NHL in some way. So uh, to be able to, to do it now with my hometown team, is, uh, it's surreal. It really is. You, uh, you mentioned the merge with MLB and NHL Network, and you said you called a couple baseball games. You also called a couple tennis matches over the summer. Uh, you had a really good experience with that. Why don't you tell some of our listeners about your experience with uh, tennis over the summer? Yeah, that was something totally new. That was the U.S. Open, uh, doing some matches at the 2020 U.S. Open in Queens. And it was great to be back in New York. It was a bubble situation with the pandemic, uh, just basically going from the hotel to the tennis center. And that was it. And it was talking about something that's like the polar opposite of doing hockey as far as a sport announcing it. I mean, that's a sport where you do not say anything during the play. They don't want no one. No one does actual play-by-play of tennis on television you're more of just a traffic cop and you're just kind of uh the host and teeing up the analyst who is the ex-player and is the expert so uh totally opposite very different from hockey where there is a radio element as i said earlier is a radio element to hockey play-by-play on tv 
And uh, it was so cool. I, I grew up a tennis fan watching the greats, Agassi Sampras, Steffi Groff, Monica Stellis. So to be able to go to the U.S. Open, something which I never did when I lived in New York. I was always on vacation or, or getting ready for training camp or doing baseball or like something else was going on. So I never got a chance to go as a spectator. And now I go to the tennis center, and of course there were no fans at the time. And it was, it was incredible. I, I don't even remember the broadcast as much as I remember just walking around in these unique circumstances and times. And I got to, you just got to bounce around from match to match when I wasn't working. You just like walk to a court and watch some of the greatest players in the world. And there's nobody there. It was a talk about surreal. It was just, and I realized it at the time that this hopefully will never happen again. So I better take advantage of it. So I'm like a like front row center court, Arthur Ashe stadium and watching Novak Djokovic on a Friday night with the roof open in New York, nobody else in the stands. And I'm thinking this, what is this price of this ticket cost? Under normal <laughs> circumstances? Like, this is a thousand dollar ticket easily. And they actually, the players wanted us to be in the stands just to have some type of a little atmosphere. So they encouraged some of the media members and broadcasters and staff members go to the different courts and, and sit and, and enjoy it. So I, I did. I was in super fan mode every minute where I wasn't working and wasn't prepping. And there were matches going on. I was at a court and I was watching. And, uh, and as also as a kind of a tennis broadcasting rookie, I wanted to absorb as much as I could just to try to uh, learn as much um, just about the sport as I could. Because there's one thing about it's one thing to be a fan. There's another thing to actually call the game and know the nuances and uh, those subtleties that every sport has. I learned that tennis has way more subtleties than I would have ever imagined. It's not just hit the ball over the net. So uh, hockey has its own. Baseball has a ton, maybe the most. Uh, but every sport has those subtleties. And I learned a lot about the uh, subtleties in tennis. You talked about, uh, you know, preparation in your learning experience calling the U.S. Open. What's your preparation like for, uh, you know, I just any sport, really, I, particularly in hockey. I mean, there's so much going on. There's a fresh batch of players on the ice every 45 seconds or so. What uh, you know, what's the workload like for you to get ready for a game like that night in and night out? Well, let's say it's a seven o'clock game. It's an all day process. I would even say it goes into the day or days before for me, because uh, that's the key. One thing I learned, I remember Kenny Albert telling me that what, what's the biggest thing he learned from his dad. And I, the thing what he said was the preparation. No one's as prepared as Kenny is. So uh, I learned that when I was in New York in the early days with the Islanders. But uh, it's a lot of prep. It is uh, you have to be prepared for every scenario. That means every player could get in backup goaltender, fourth line center could have the game of his life. Sixth or seventh defenseman could have the game of his life. You have to be prepared for all these things. In addition to the usual storylines, players going up on a milestone or this player's going up against uh, the Capitals and, and it has a ton of great numbers against the Caps. Uh, so it's an all day process. I like to watch the opponent opposing team i like to watch them the night before whatever their last game was um and then just making a roster with all the little nuggets and, and most of that stuff you don't end up using but you just never know it could also be a 10-1 blowout one way or the other and you're going to need a lot of that information our hope every night is that it's going to be a great game and none of that information is going to be used or a small portion of it and the game will take care of itself but you guys know that doesn't happen every night. 
It could be a, like a boring Tuesday game in Ottawa or in Buffalo or Nashville or in the middle of November, and it could be a blowout. You better have some material ready because the game is not going to be the the uh, the product itself. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of prep. It's a lot of uh, working on storylines and, and what uh, what's going to be talked about in the course of that given night. But we, I, I have no control over the outcome. I have no control of what type of game it's going to be. It's just a matter of uh, being as prepared as possible for every scenario and every player. So uh, hockey, definitely a lot more prep than, say, tennis, where you have two, maybe four competitors. And uh, in hockey, you're looking at 40. So how do you uh, keep that, just to follow up, how do you keep that organized? Is like your desk or your setup in front of you while you're calling games, is that just littered with information? Yeah, I wouldn't say littered. It's pretty neat. I I think I keep a tidy broadcast booth. I have uh, two boards, basically, that is a, like a Penguins column and an opposing team column. And each one, there, there's a whole block of nuggets of information on every player. And that includes the Penguins, because uh, even though I, you think I would have those down, it's always changing. There could be a player nearing a milestone. There could be, as I said, he's got great numbers against that Knights opponent. Um there are a lot of things that uh, maybe he's red hot. He's got six goals in the last seven games. So there, that's always changing too, even though it's the team that I cover every day. Uh, but yeah, there's that. I keep my iPad with me just for the real-time stats and out-of-town scores and any type of news that might come up. There's obviously a monitor to my left, so I know what's going out over the airwaves. And that's really important when you're doing television. And you can obviously watch the replays, but you're also seeing what the viewers are seeing because that's that's the big thing. Um and I, I think that's about it. I mean, we have, I have league stats and and a couple. I, I started recently just to have a little. Actually, it's one of these like little. There it is right here. It's just a little cheat sheet type thing. It's like one of these little yellow post-it notes in big, dark, sharpie. And uh, just to quickly reference something, if I, I, I just mentioned, the guy has six goals in seven games. There's a bunch of numbers in my head. And you don't have time to be looking down and searching and, and trying to, or looking on a computer and iPad. The game is so fast. So I just started writing those down, those bullet points in just huge letters. So in the course of this lightning speed sport, I can just glance down real quick and right away, Malkin, six goals, seven games, and you know it right away if it's not already in my head. A lot of times I find I do everything by hand. I find that uh, the act of doing it by hand sears it into my memory anyway. And I don't have to reference those sheets, but it's nice to have that uh, safety net there. And it's uh, I, I do I do feel strongly about having it handwritten. I know a lot of guys that like to have big computerized sheets and everything, and it just wouldn't have the same effect for me. I love sitting. It takes a long time. It takes much longer, but uh, it takes a lot of wrist and finger pain. But I write down everything, even if it's repetitive. I write it down, and uh, I, I do think it just gets it up here in the brain. Absolutely. It's it's one of those old school tactics that just seems to stand the test of time. A couple questions for you just from, you know, a fan perspective when you're thinking about announcers. I'm curious, you know, now you're a professional announcer, what your opinion is. Who is your favorite current announcer? I think a lot of people kind of have the same answers. Like, for for instance, for me, Jim Nance, when he gets the Masters, is by far the best. Um, Who's your favorite announcer in sports? I've got so many. I, I I just have always tried to 
be a sponge when I'm watching any sport and just uh, try to absorb as much as I can from all of the, the greats. And Jim Nance is one of them. You could just go down the list. Bob Costas, I think, is the, the greatest, especially when it comes to hosting. He was always the, the best. Um, Al Michaels doing football or baseball. I just got inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame or hockey, of course, Miracle on Ice. Uh, Mike Tirico, Joe Buck, Jim Nance. You could just go down the list of all the great announcers that are out there now. And uh, for anybody like myself, you're, I, I'm just trying to learn from them. I don't, I'm not watching as a fan. I'm watching as a, as a fellow broadcaster. We just had Doc Emmerich retire. We're going to miss him so much and his unique style. It just transformed the game. I grew up uh, in the 90s. Gary Thorne was doing ESPN. He was one of the best and still was doing baseball and uh, always enjoyed his hockey call. So uh, there are so many. You just try to pick and choose and just take little bits of everybody without copying them and their style. You just try to take little parts and eventually that all comes together and becomes your style. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a case when I was growing up of trying to listen to as many of those voices as possible. Back then, it wasn't as easy. You didn't have the Internet, didn't have satellite radio or uh, satellite television. Now you can listen to any announcer almost any time, and it's real easy. But for me, the guy who will always be the number one influence is Mike Lang. He was the one who was uh, my idol, my broadcasting idol, looking up to him. And uh, to me, he's the best. And. And I'm so lucky that I'm able to consider him a friend. And, and he, he's always been willing to give me advice, little pointers here and there. And uh, he just uh, has been a, a wonderful mentor. So I'm always appreciative of, of Mike Lang. But there's so many in, in hockey today, all the, all the greats, Bob Miller with the Kings and Rick Jenneret with the Sabres and Doc and Sam Rosen with the Rangers, Pete Weber with the Predators. Randy Hahn in San Jose, uh, Dave, late Dave Strader was a big uh, influence on me. So uh, there is not going to ever be one. And even I could be doing this for 40 more years or four more minutes. It doesn't matter. I'm still going to always try to be learning. And I think you could take that advice, whatever field you're in. Just uh, I just think it's best to always be learning and, and trying to take as much knowledge as you can from the people who are considered the best in your field do you have a favorite uh mike lang call i mean he's got some pretty iconic ones you know make me a milkshake malkin slap me silly sydney all these ones do you have a favorite yeah well elvis has just left the building that always <laughs> wins so i was always partial to that one uh, and then as far as like a moment and he's even told me like the call he's most proud of and i think it would be considered his greatest call was 1992 Penguins, game one, Blackhawks, uh, they had just drawn a penalty, so they're on the power play. The game's tied, 14-some seconds left, and Ron Francis wins a faceoff, back to Murphy, shot, stopped by Belfour, rebound right to Lemieux, and Mike Lang just lets out this amazing call, this amazing version of it. He shoots and scores. Uh, it was just like I could listen to that like you'd listen to a favorite song over and over again. It would never get old. I could listen. I could have it in my list of songs that I play and I can just listen to it over and over and over again. And it, was, it just has that effect. Uh, and then the way, and there are other factors too. It's a big goal and a big moment in the Stanley cup final. It was as close to the penguins winning the cup in Pittsburgh as they've ever gotten because they basically, and that was only game one, but just the, the celebration, the pandemonium there, that was as close to the uh, thrill of winning a cup 
in Pittsburgh. Those who don't know, all five cups have been clinched on the road in Penguin history. Uh, so the way the camera pans and it's just bedlam all the way across, the fans are going crazy. And uh, Mike just uh, punctuated that moment perfectly with the, the perfect call. And he said, you'd have to be here to believe it. And that was just uh, the greatest call, I think, uh, that I've ever heard. For your own calls, uh, you know, if you have a player, you know, for example, Sid, let's say he's coming up on a huge milestone. Are you sort of rehearsing what you would say ahead of time or do you just like to let it happen organically? You have to let it happen organically. It cannot sound scripted. You can't write it out word for word. But one thing I learned from Howie Rose in my first year doing games with the Islanders, I asked him a very similar question like you just posed. I mean, how do you handle the big moments? He, of course, had the most one of the most famous NHL calls, Matteau, 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 and the Rangers went to the final in 94. So uh, I asked, he was a perfect guy to ask about those big moments. And he said, it's okay to have a plan. You don't want to be scripted, but it's okay to have a plan. It's okay to think about something. Maybe just get it in your brain ahead of time. And uh, eventually you'll, you'll be surprised. This is like another thing from Al Michaels. And, and he, again, famous hockey call, Miracle on Ice. Do you believe in miracles? And uh, he, in that case, had the word miraculous pop into his head. And then it became a question. So it's okay to have a plan, as Howie told me. And uh, you don't want it scripted. You're, you just, you'll be, another thing Al Michael said was, you'll be surprised at what you will do in that moment. And if you just trust your instincts, then that's going to be more authentic and more memorable than anything than you just reading off a card of some line that you have. And that's the, that would be the worst thing, something contrived or something that was uh, very scripted. So uh, if it's more spontaneous, I think it's better. And, and that was the case definitely with Howie's call with uh, Matteau, Matteau, Matteau. And, uh, and in the case of Al Michaels, it was just a word popped into his head and it became maybe the greatest sports call of all time. Well, with any luck, we'll have you calling Sid's 500th this coming season. So I'm hoping for that. Um, you know, you've called a bunch of events. You're a Penguins announcer. You've called World Juniors, tennis, baseball. In your opinion, what's been your best call in your career to date? Uh, oh, I I don't know. It's probably for others to, to judge. I mean, of course, we don't do the play later playoff games in the case of the Penguins. So it's a lot of regular season games. It's not like uh, there were many playoff runs. I was very fortunate that I got a chance to call both 2016 and 2017 cup wins. I, I was doing the NHL international broadcast. So uh, the last or the previous four cups from 16, 17, 18 and 19, I was able to do those finals and, and to uh, call Penguin Stanley Cup victories. That was just uh, an amazing thrill. Um, probably the, the one game that stands out was uh, 2017 World Juniors. It was Team USA against Canada in Montreal. The teams on both sides had a lot of guys who've already played in the NHL, like Matt Barzell and Thomas Shabbat and Charlie McAvoy and a lot of young stars up and coming are still on the, on the rise. Um, so for the Americans to win that game in Canada, it was a Thursday night primetime. I think it's the most watched thing on NHL Network. And uh, to, to have that type of game in a big stage. At that time, I hadn't done a big stage NHL TV broadcast before. To know that I could pass that test. And a lot of people were watching. And at the time, I had designs on 
eventually getting back to doing play-by-play at, at that moment. I was working for NHL Network, but to have that uh, Team USA win in dramatic fashion, a shootout, just an unbelievable game, multiple lead changes and penalty kills in overtime and, and uh, the ebbs and flows of, of junior hockey because they're young players, so they, they don't know how to handle momentum quite as well. So that's what makes the World Junior so unpredictable and so exciting. So for Team USA to win it and uh, to have a great broadcast that night, that, that's one that will always stand out for me. I remember watching that pretty vividly. I mean, Tyler Parsons made a couple saves in overtime where I was already reaching for the clicker, you know, all right, it's over, I'm going to bed. Uh, will you be calling the World Juniors for Team USA this uh, this upcoming tournament? No, I'll, I'm hoping to be getting ready for Penguins training camp. That's fingers crossed. Uh, the uh, NHL Network has Steven Nelson, who's done the last couple of uh, World Juniors, has done a fantastic job. So I was just texting with him a couple of days ago. And uh, I do miss it. I miss that, that competition. That tournament was so cool. And especially when it was in Canada, we were there live. Some of the ones in Europe, we didn't travel. We were doing it off a monitor, which is now commonplace in our current <laughs> circumstances. But um, that was, I did five straight World Juniors. They were so much fun. And then to think of all the players who have now graduated to the NHL, from Connor McDavid to Mitch Marner to uh, JT Miller and Johnny Gaudreau and John Gibson with Team USA and Seth Jones, and to have seen those players in those formative years as they're just getting started with their almost pro careers, um, it was it was really an awesome experience. All it was fun to prepare. You had all these foreign names that you're trying to learn, and I just uh, I absolutely loved it. So um, yeah, it'll be shot. I hope it goes along smoothly and, and we have a great world junior because that's the best time of year for hockey fan is uh normally you have the nhl going on but uh, when the world juniors are starting right after christmas it's just so much fun got one last question for you before we get into a little bit of penguins talk to wrap this up um and i'm just curious and i i asked this because it was something that uh i witnessed this past week so obviously nick and i are in baltimore so we're in raven's country uh and there was a play in the Tuesday night game against the Cowboys where Justin Tucker missed a field goal, and Joe Buck had brought up a statistic where he was like uh, 39 of 39 or something crazy like that within 35 yards. Are announcers aware when they're saying statistics like this that fans are like, there's a curse, there's some type of curse they're, they're pulling on them? Do, do you guys like ever think about that? Like, oh, I, like is that a thing? Like, Do announcers, are they aware of that? <laughs> Yeah, well, I'd be lying if I said we weren't aware of it. I mean, I think everybody knows about the announcer jinx. We've also been fans ourselves. So I remember not wanting to hear the word no hitter in the middle of a, a potential no hitter in baseball. Or if uh, Tom Barrasso or some Penguin goaltender had a shutout going, and you don't want to hear that word because I'm somewhat superstitious. But uh, like I, I live on planet Earth, so I realize that there's no way that that's related in any way. It's obviously ridiculous. However, I, my philosophy is always, why make the fans mad? You know, <laughs> you know like, why, why stir the pot? Like, you, don't, you don't have to. There's a million other ways to say no hitter without saying the actual phrase or shutout. So if Tristan Jari has a shutout going and there's five minutes left in the third period, you will never hear me say that, at least not on purpose, um, just because... You know, I was a fan, too. I know how it is. And it's like a fun superstition. And and uh, I remember having Rick DiPietro's dad 
listened to one of our broadcasts with the Islanders and said, he came up to me and said, thank you so much. You never said the word shutout. So you never know like who's listening and, and who's uh, crazy superstitious or anything like that. Um, but it is so absurd the way people <laughs> make a big deal about that. And I, I did like how I did watch that Joe Buck and uh, it just, uh, it's, it's hilarious to me. So I just, I just play along and uh, I have no problem with uh, not saying some of those words because there's a million other ways you can do it. So that's just the, my take on it. But some announcers are dead set, like almost out of spite, and they'll purposely say it. And then uh, for me, I'm like, why make the fans mad? There's, there's a million other reasons why fans will get mad at an announcer. And uh, like, why add to that, that long list? No, I hear you. And I, I think that's good for fans to kind of understand from an announcer's perspective, you know, what their take is on it. So, uh, you know, moving on just a little bit of Penguins talk here before we wrap up. Yeah, I got to be honest. It seems like people are dismissing the Pens this year. I, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of like not as much hype as I'm used to going into the season. It seems like it's become a young man's league. And obviously our core is getting older. What do you what is your expectation? There's a lot of there's a lot of question marks going in with the departure of Murray. You got a couple key pieces, Schultz departing and all that. So what? assuming the season starts and we get 52 or 56 games and what the league is rumored to be releasing here soon, what are you expecting out of the Pens this year? Well, I'll quote Mike Sullivan. He says that uh, the Penguins' core, meaning Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, they are older, but they're not old. They're early to mid-30s. And I think still have a lot of great hockey left in them. And you look at Evgeny Malkin's season last year, he had a fantastic year. Thought Latang was good and Crosby was good when he was healthy. He just dealt with some injuries throughout the season. Uh, so I, I will still place some bets on that core because we know what they've done in the past. And I, I do, and they're in unbelievable shape, all three of them. So I, I do think that uh, they still have at least one more good run left in them in their careers, if not more. And I do like the philosophy of uh, staying young, trying to get faster. It is a faster, younger man's game. But adding to the speed and the complementary pieces around that core. And I think Jim Rutherford has done that. So uh, I, I'm really impressed with the moves. Clearly, they are not going to go into some rebuild and, and potentially trade one of the veteran guys like a Latang or a Malkin. Uh, they still believe in this core and the chances – for the Penguins, uh, maybe last year was just kind of an aberration because of the unique circumstances. And uh, the team had dealt with so many injuries throughout the year, over 300-man games lost. Uh, so I, I do think that there is still a lot of great hockey left in the core group with the Penguins. It won't be easy, especially if the proposed division alignment ends up being what we're seeing out there in the reports, which means they're in a division with the Caps and the Flyers and the Rangers and the Islanders and the Bruins. So that's going to be a tough division no matter what. Almost every team is going to be improved or at least a contender or a playoff contender or close to it. So, um, yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to be a challenge this year. But I like the fact that they're getting younger, getting faster. You can kind of do a rebuild a little bit on the fly if that's the case. But the Penguins have said they, they believe that they still can contend. And uh, that's why they didn't want to trade any of the, the veteran players they did make some big tweaks, and they said goodbye to Patrick Hornquist, said goodbye to Matt Murray, said goodbye to Jack Johnson, and now have a good, young, promising goaltender at Tristan Jari, who had an outstanding year. He was an all-star and put up some tremendous numbers. 
So I do like the fact that they have the goaltending taken care of. I think down the middle, you want to be strong at center, right? Penguins have Crosby and Malkin. They have Teddy Bluger, who had a very impressive year, his first full year in the NHL. So there are a lot of positives with this team. And I think on defense, a lot of questions about what the defense is going to look like. They bring in Mike Matheson. They add Cody Ceci. I think how those defensive pairs are going to shake out, that's going to be a big question. But Latang, Dumoulin, Marcus Pedersen's been really good. John Marino was a revelation first year. Uh, he was unbelievable, one of the better young defensemen in the game. And the Penguins got him for a six-round pick. It was incredible. So uh, I love the fact that they're getting younger and, uh, and there's a lot of upside but at the same time, this team can contend because they have Sidney Crosby as a starting point. And when you start with a guy like that, then uh, I'm going to think that you're going to have as good a shot as anybody, uh, especially when you're talking about a Crosby who's going to be potentially well-rested and healthy and then is supported by Malkin and Latang and all these other names. Jason Zucker, Jake Gensel is going to be healthy. Brian Rust had a career year. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of talent there. Kasperi Kapanen was added from the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I love the philosophy that they're, they're not just uh, folding the tent. This is a team that's expected to contend. The standard is high here in Pittsburgh. Amen. I love it. Uh, Nick, do you have any other additional questions? Uh, you touched on the fact that Kasperi Kapanen is back in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think some people had some question marks about his time in Toronto. You know, were they, you know, not using him to his full potential? Was he sort of just getting lost in the shuffle for... A Caps fan on the outside looking in, it seems that whenever the Penguins get a player who have sort of, you know, struggled a little bit, they just seem to be able to bring out the best in them and elevate their game and utilize them to their full potential. Do you see that happening with Kappen in this year? It's definitely possible. That That is a, a hallmark of the Penguins in this recent era where you're, you're absolutely right. Take some players off the proverbial scrap heap, some would say, especially defensemen. And because of the coaching, because of the culture, because of uh, just the overall quality of the team, they're able to get the most out of these players. I think of Ian Cole and Justin Schultz and Trevor Daly, some guys that you thought, well, what, how much are they going to be able to bring? And, and then they just took off. You know, Nick Benino was kind of that way. You could even say the same in some way about Phil Kessel, even though he was a great player with Toronto and Boston. Uh, but he took his game to another level. And I think they're hoping for the same thing with Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, I just wonder, what is his role going to be? Is he a top six? Or in the Penguins' case, they're hoping top three forward. The talk is that he's going to be on the right side with Crosby and Gensel. So is he that talented offensively to produce in that type of a role? And that'll be the big question. Uh, he didn't quite have that role with Toronto. Of course, Toronto's strength with forwards and and a lot of big names up front with Tavares and Matthews and Nylander. And you can get kind of lost in the shuffle there. But it's clear that Kasperi Kaplan is going to be given a golden opportunity. On paper, it looks great. I've been in the league long enough to know that a lot of times these things don't work out when it seems like it's going to be perfect. It makes a lot of sense. I'll just throw him right there, right side with uh, Gensel and Crosby, and it should work out beautifully. But it doesn't always happen that way. But if not, the Penguins have a lot of options with Zucker, with Rust. So that top six is awfully good. And that's another thing that gives me a lot of confidence about the pen is I look at that top six. Zucker was great with the Penguins. Rust, the career year, and maybe the Penguins' top player uh, during the season. He was just awesome. And then Kapanen, a little bit of an unknown as far as what his potential is, but we've seen him. He's, there's no question he's a strong NHL player. And uh, he's going to be put in a lot of different roles. So 
Uh, I love that top six. It, it's as good as a, a top six as we've seen in a while for the Penguins because that depth is, is so important. We saw it last year with all the injuries. you got to have depth, and the Penguins have it, especially when it comes to the skilled forwards, uh, assuming they can all stay healthy. So the the Washington Capitals, uh, where you know that's where most of our listeners' allegiance lies, just with us being from the the Baltimore D.C. area, they pick up Justin Schultz from the Penguins in the off season. Uh, could you explain to our listeners basically what the Caps are getting in this defenseman? Yeah, I'm a talented offensive defenseman with a heavy shot. He was always great to work with and just to speak to uh, from my perspective, and fun to watch. Two time champion. A guy who came from Edmonton, and you know, he was originally drafted by the Anaheim Ducks. Eventually, signed with the Edmonton Oilers, and that was when the Oilers were really struggling, and it wasn't working out for Justin. And then he comes to Pittsburgh, another name that uh, came to Pittsburgh and just took off. He was he was awesome, and especially in 2017 when Latang was hurt and wasn't a part of the Penguins' second Cup run in the back-to-back years. Justin Schultz was magnificent. He was just such a steady presence underrated defensively, could quarterback the power play. The problem recently has been injuries. Suffered a serious leg injury a couple of years ago in Montreal and missed the, the huge portion of that year, never got back on track that season. And then last year, again, dealt with a bunch of nagging injuries and just wasn't able to get on the right path. So uh, he had been playing with Jack Johnson. That was a pair that didn't work out. It just wasn't going to happen and the Penguins weren't going to give him the money he was looking for. So we knew it was the end of the road for Justin Schultz here in Pittsburgh. But I I think if he can stay healthy, I do believe he can be a very talented, offensive-minded defenseman, a guy who, though, isn't one-dimensional. Like He's underrated defensively, and I do. I love that shot. He's got the heaviest shot, and I think for the last few years, the Penguins goalies have said, uh, when I've asked them, who has the heaviest? your shot on the team is Justin Schultz. So uh, uh, he's not going to be a guy who's going to be dynamic as a power play quarterback. And uh, he doesn't put up big power play numbers. But as far as just like being able to chip in here and there, good puck moving defenseman, which is what, what the name of the game is now in the NHL, he can do that. And uh, I think as was the case in Pittsburgh, get the puck out of your own zone and get it in the hands of those talented caps forward that's what you want to do spend as little time in your own end as possible and give the puck to nick backstrom and alex ovechkin and if that's the case and if he can do that efficiently then uh, i think the caps are going to be just fine with him in the fold solid i mean yeah i think caps fans are between the niskanen signing the orpic signing now they're getting schultz i mean this kind of seems like (laughs) nick kind of seems like a trend almost but yeah i'll take Um, it (laughs) <laughs> well, the other one's worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah not too not, bad. I don't really want to talk about that, but yeah. Um, <laughs> any other questions you got, Nick, or are you, you good? No, I think I'm good, Steve. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun for us, and uh, we really, really appreciate it. Looking forward to hearing yeah, the calls fun. this year. it was good talking hockey. It was a lot of fun, and uh, keep up the good work. It's great to have so many different podcasts and different shows that are out there. I think it's so cool. I wish I had something like this one. I was... Uh, younger and I just I think it's so much fun that uh, everyone has a chance to just talk hockey talk what we love especially in these tough circumstances we'll keep our fingers crossed for mid-January for a start to the NHL season and then in the meantime just uh, keep on doing what you're doing and uh, enjoy the lead up to uh, what we hope will be the uh, 2021 NHL campaign and uh, hopefully we can get back to some level of normalcy here pretty soon absolutely thanks again Steve we appreciate it Okay, take care.
Big thanks to Steve Mears for sitting down and talking to us. I mean, that guy, just such a nice guy, so down to earth. He could really, um, you know, just paint a picture of what it was like to, to, to be inside the broadcast booth. I think that was a really cool interview for us, uh, not being exactly from the the player side. So, uh, you know, it was just so interesting how he talked about how many different other legendary broadcasters sort of, you know, shaped his path to getting into the booth. So um, definitely cool and uh was one of my favorite interviews so far. Uh, if you guys remember, we talked to Zach Fucali a little while ago, and if you listen to that interview, you know all about his sports company, Living Sisu. Living Sisu gives you access to over 100 sports-related discounts from their partners. It's free, and you'll have the opportunity to join a great sports community. Sisu means determination, resilience, tenacity, and perseverance. If you even like sports a little bit, it's a no-brainer to join them from their website, livingsisu.com, or from ours, emptybetters.com. Check it out and follow them on Instagram at living.sisu. For all you out there who are a little late on the Christmas shopping, obviously go check out our website if you're a fan. And if you're listening, I'm assuming you are. Uh, www.emptybetters.com. Go click on the shop tab and it will take you to our online store at teespring.com. Use discount code EB10 for 10% off. Only the month of December. We're feeling generous. Uh, so go check that out. It's been a little busy there lately, so we appreciate the love. Uh, any other notes? I know this was kind of not the most talkative episode, but you know we're kind of waiting for all the speculation to die down with the league news and rumors. All I can say is um, I, just, I just hope hockey comes back soon. I'm excited at just the idea of it. Try not to get too excited about it, but um, – I'm sure all you listeners are feeling the same way, and hopefully we'll be talking about uh, NHL soon on the pod. Yeah, definitely. Uh, keep an eye out for blog posts. Thank you, like Harrison said, to anyone that's uh, supported us by buying merchandise. They do make great gifts, and uh, definitely take advantage while that promo code is out there. And I think that's all I got. Yeah, you're a lunatic if you ain't getting the trucker hat, obviously. In my opinion, the best product on the store. Uh, it's a can't-miss hits every time uh, i was gonna say one other thing oh yeah i haven't won a bet in like two months because i apparently lost uh my ability to bet on football so i am in desperate need of the puck line to come back i'm dying for it i need it uh but other than that that will wrap it up for today's episode thank you for listening and without further ado class dismissed Cause in my